0: Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show, where we break down the complex worlds of health, fitness, family, business, and relationships with the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Gabby Reese, and I'm here to simplify these topics and give you practical takeaways that you can start using today. We all know that living a healthy, balanced life isn't always easy. Let's try working on managing life a little better and have some fun along the way, because after all, Life is just one big experiment, and we're all doing our best.
1: I have this this notion that I think work-life balance is bullshit. I think the implication that there's two opposing forces on a scale, and in order to gain in one avenue, it has to come at the expense of another, is sort of the wrong ideal to set that there's, there's a give and take in the things that you're going to do. And frankly, you spend more waking hours on average for an, on an, at an eight to five working than you do at home. So you're, you lose, you know, it's game over from the day that you buy into that, that dogma. And I feel more along the lines of work life synergy or congruency. The consumer is so powerful in this economy. and I mean, you look look over all through history and time and you look at how movements of people can change the course of history. And I think we're in one of those really unique moments where I think consumers just need to know the truth and transparency. And I think if we give them that and we demonstrate that, hey, there is an outlet that actually offers the things that you already value and that you already thought you were getting. And this is what it looks like. And it's called regenerative. and, And I can explain more. That many, many, many consumers would would choose that path.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Robbie Sansom. Robbie is one of the co-founders of a regenerative meat company called Force of Nature. And I thought it was just really important to get the educational component of what is regenerative agriculture. We're hearing more and more about it. Unfortunately, it's still less than 1% of the type of farming or dealing with animal protein that we do in this country. But what you start to realize as you go deeper into it, there's so many positive impacts of regenerative farming, and not only for our planet, but for our health. He did a really good job of shedding light on how regenerative practices can really restore our ecosystems, improve our soil health, and reduce carbon emissions. We'll also explore just the immense benefits, you know, regenerative meat can have on our human health, including higher nutrient density and a more sustainable way of consuming animal protein. I really found weirdly that let's say I have a friend who goes hunting and they send you meat. I eat so much less when I eat this type of meat. And I think for a lot of us, we feel like, oh, that ship has sailed, we're monocropping. They're just doing all kinds of atrocious things to animals. There's no way to turn it around. And when you listen to Robbie's unique perspective, it inspires, it certainly inspired me and it leaves you feeling hopeful about our future. And so if you've ever wondered how to do it or how to get it or why we need to, you'll really appreciate this conversation. It is time for all of us to get informed and educated enough so that we can slowly but surely use our dollars whenever we can. And it's less than you think. And that's really important because I do not want good food or good vegetables or good health to be something that people are outpriced from. Does it take a little more work and a little more effort? It does. But I, I think we can really make the largest impact by where we spend. We've seen it with you know, things recently when things get politicized and people are like, hey, listen, I don't want my department stores or whatever to have a political standpoint. I just think that this is something we can all meet on. Whatever your politics, however your preference of eating, whatever that is, but this is something we can collectively do to help nurture and restore our soil and our planet. And we can be more humane to animals and certainly for our own personal health. So, I hope you enjoy the conversation I have with Robbie Sansom. So, Robbie, thank you for joining me. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Not only, obviously, I'm interested in this space of, you know, this is the biggest, one of the biggest, maybe it is one of the, is it the biggest extension of health? I'm not, you know, it's like right there. It's sort of like our personal. Inward health, our mental health, but I mean, what you're doing with regenerative, you know, and in this case with animals and with meat, um, food, and then the connection of the planet. And I think a lot of us have this idea of what the notion of regenerative farming or raising animals in a regenerative way really is. I think there's so much to know about it. And I was really excited because food's the hardest thing you know it's the hardest even when you're trying to be healthy it's the hardest part of i think the journey of of trying to really maintain health
1: i think everything you said is spot on and and what i think is most you know fascinating maybe discur- you know disappointing is that all all you said is true and yet we've lost touch with our food we don't have the relationship that we were, that we evolved to have with our food whether it be the experience or the form and obtaining that food, or the form the food takes, and you know, I think the more we distance ourselves from, you know, what it is to be human, I think the more we see our health suffer for it. Right? At least that's my that's my opinion, and I, I feel like there's a lot to be explored there. And, and and I think regenerative represents a good bit of that.
0: Before we actually break down regenerative, I'd really love to know sort of your journey. Um, and it was interesting for me, like I look through all the people that also work with with uh, Force of Nature which is the company that you have co-founded, like so many people are from Texas or Virginia. I know the accounting person is from the Philippines, but I was like, oh, this is like a, this is a down home crew that's been at this a long time. I just got a, a kick out of that. So you went to U of T, but maybe you could just say how you landed in some of the places that you've landed and now finally here.
1: Like you said, back to back to school. Just did what folks did. You went, you followed sort of the academic path, and doors were open, and you were sort of herded into a direction. And you know, not to not to in in you know sensationalize, but I, I feel you know a little bit like we're all like lemmings doing kind of what we're instructed, and we don't question or sometimes stop and pause and think critically about it and I, and I just know different different I followed the path got an undergraduate degree and a master's degree I went to work for a large consulting firm and you know sort of sort of started to figure out that that path that I was on wasn't fulfilling you know I was making a paycheck I had a job but I don't think folks aspire in their youth to someday have a job you know they they hope to do something that's meaningful and that inspires them and that they're proud of and enjoy and and can and, and can share and, and and what that means to them with others. And you know, I found myself on that path. And I think what I did that was unique is broke free of it, sort of just stopped and started talking to people and listening, and found and, and heard so many stories of regret. You know, I I wish I would have changed my my path and followed my passions, but I haven't because you know I, I got a degree in this, or I, I got to pay my student loans, or now I got a kid on the way, or. Now I got a kid that's about to be in college. Well now my kid's in college and I gotta pay for it. And oh now I'm too committed to this and it's too late to to go a different direction. And so they just sort of accept the circumstances that don't really fill their cup. And I just didn't want to wanna to do that. So I I left, went into the startup space, started found that you can, you know, I, I enjoy business. I think you have businesses. There's parts of that, that are that are exciting. I think providing value to people and when you hear stories from folks that have, you know, worked with you that you, you've 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 changed their life or you've improved their health or you did these things, these are the sort of rewarding things that that we do it for. And you you can do that in mission based companies where you can do a good thing and you know get to get to tool around in business and see how the f- puzzle pieces fit together and kind of solve a solve do do problem solving and work with you know people whether they be consumers or, or employees. And so that's a little bit of. Kind of my, my path to get to, to here. I think ultimately I grew up hunting and, and fishing and spending time outdoors and swimming and sports and you know that's just who I, I fundamentally was and what I love doing and you know being able to join forces at, at, at a company. You know one one of my my the second startup I joined was was, was called Epic. Um, I know we've done some work with y'all in the past.
0: I love um, I love Epic and I was I have to just really quickly slide in I. I I always was sort of fascinated, like, how are they pulling that off? You know, like for me, I thought what they're doing is so specific and so hard, and yet they're pulling it off and growing. And I was always really, it, it was inspiring because I think it's it's a very hard space to be in. And and I really appreciated that. So wait, before you, you tell me about Epic, were your parents, I mean, I know you say, hey, you got outside and and all that. Was there this sort of health conversation or... was there an activism? Was there, was anyone uh, particularly interested in the way soil or agriculture is in your family? Or, or was that something that you were
1: introduced to only later? I have great parents and they definitely instilled a lot of values into me, but I I can't say, Mm -hmm. you know, my my mom, you know, followed the guidance that a good, well-intentioned, you know, mother might, you know, square meals, you know, the food groups, the pyramid, the things that we were told that you, you should do, you oh. know. And I think and my parents would, you know, also do things, you know, I I didn't grow up in the age of social media and, and all of those things. So we kind of right. got locked, you know, it was sort of like go outside and don't come home until it's dark. And, you know, you let use your imagination and your body to find joy in life. Yeah. And relationships.
0: I always love that food pyramid. <laughs> I, I, oh, I man, I think it's still in books today, but you know, that take, that ship takes a long time to turn. It's a big turn.
1: <laughs> it's happening so, though. We're seeing it.
0: It is. I mean, well, cause we, we obviously clearly it's not working. So actually I think there's a lot of people that feel that way, what you're saying, like they're doing something because it's life kind of, they went along and they sort of went with the flow and they arrived at these places. Did you have a strategy when you thought, you know what, I'm not going to just take this paycheck and do this job was there a strategy around that before you just kind of pulled the cord or what was your approach to saying, I'm going to make a change in my life and, and kind of create a different reality for myself.
1: My, and I have a background in finance, so I knew I could figure out a way to, to make it work and hustle and be scrappy. And, and I started businesses starting when I was 16, I painted houses through college and sold paint jobs. And so I, I, I wasn't, afraid of the financial aspects of it. I knew I could find a way to make it work and I and I didn't really care. I knew I could go get a paycheck if I really needed one. I just lived really I knew I was going to live lean and I wasn't going to put expectations on myself. And I just said I said I'm going to take a minimum of six months. And I found a plan and it involved a lot of peanut butter sandwiches. And but it really um it meant also I had to schedule two meetings every day and I had to work out twice a day.
0: Where did you strum up the meetings cuz i think people you know it's like even when people look for a job like where'd you strum them up
1: yeah well it was you know it started off there were it was i was just interviewing people it wasn't these weren't pitches or anything it was just me right. listening it was me saying hey i you're doing something interesting i'd love to hear more about it and you know effectively asking them how they got there and what they love about it and what they would do differently as i was trying to find a course and, you know, the main thing coming out of everyone besides listening and learning about their journey in, in hopes it could help me find a path for myself, I would ask them to introduce me to one other person that they think I would be interested that, you know, that, that might have something to share. So it, it sort of set itself up that way. And so well, financially, you know, I, I, again, I think there's these myths and these you know ways of Ways that we were conditioned, like, oh, if you don't have a paycheck, you're going to like, no, I, I, financially, I, I made the least amount of money I ever made, but I was probably as busy as I've ever been and fulfilled talking to people and learning and being outside and running and climbing and, and swimming and biking and, um, and, and constantly in social groups. And it sort of gave me some, a, a very interesting perspective about how you can exist outside of an identity of who you are at a job and even what a job is. And it kind of, Have this this notion that I think work life balance is bullshit. I think the implication that there's two opposing forces on a scale, and in order to gain in one avenue, it has to come at the expense of another, Mm -hmm. is sort of the wrong ideal to set. That there's there's a give and take in the things that you're going to do, and frankly, you spend more waking hours on average for an an, at an eight to five working than you do at home, so you lose. You know, it's came over from the day that you buy into that that dogma, and I feel more along the lines of you know work work life synergy or congruency right like what are you gonna do professionally that helps you pay your bills that f- that fills your cup and that inspires you and spills over into your personal life and makes you better a better parent or sibling or husband or 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 friend and and vice versa you know that who you are and personally makes you really good at your job because the two go hand in hand and Home is always going to be a priority. Family is always going to be a priority. That's non-negotiable. But to think that what you do for a living has to compromise those things, I think, is is a, is a is a flawed way of looking at life. And that you should find the thing that serves them.
0: Do you think you were born with that? Because that's a that's a very unique and kind of hard. I, I don't, you know, I live, my husband has a very similar attitude and I we're always, you know, I, it's like, I see that and I'm like, you are so right. And I'm all trying to keep all the plates spinning at the same time. If that makes sense. Do you, do you sort of think that you just had a sense of that always, or after taking a job and kind of going through a system, it was like, Oh yeah, no, this isn't going to be the path that takes me there.
1: You know, that thing that you hear when you're younger that frustrates the hell out of you and somebody tells you, oh, well, if you do what you love, success will follow. Well, that's like the best guidance I can give somebody, you know, but you have, but it sounds like, a, a, like you're just being led on, you know, when you're younger and you're like, well, that's easy for you to say, but, th- but there's truth in it, you know, I, and, and, I, and I really believe it. And I think, you know, going through and I think for me, my own experiences and, and, and talking to so many other people. You know, that, that 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 saying I don't know who to attribute it to, many a false step was made by standing still comes to mind. You know, don't 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 just accept the miserable existence that you have because it's familiar. If you're not inspired, make a change and the risks aren't as great as they seem. And I and I and I figured I was lucky enough to figure that out. And then through doing it and building comfort like we do, as we are able to accommodate greater loads of stress. In our lives, you know, I was able to lean into it more and more over time.
0: I think that's a really interesting point about an important point about unearthing. I think very few people are born into the world connected with their sort of purpose or passion and that it is a process of discovery because a lot of people are like, I don't know what I want to do. It's like, I'm like, I don't think most people do, you know?
1: (laughs) No, and then this expectation, (laughs) like you figure it out when you're 18 and you commit to a path and you better never, you know, you know, You're all in for the next forty years, and you can't be nimble or pivot or 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 go through seasons of change and evolve. It's like no, that is that's what you must do. Yeah.
0: So you so you're saying the second company that you got involved with was Epic. Is this right?
1: Uh, From a from a startup perspective, yes.
0: Yes. What was the first? Was it food oriented?
1: No, it was a really an information products company. So training, And, and and during the financial crisis. We put out a bunch of content, you know, helping banks, real estate companies, and homeowners find a a, a way to stable ground outside of, you know, having lo- losing their homes. This was during the er- early teens or early two thousands, excuse me, you know, and, and and being foreclosed on and filing bankruptcy. That's sort of, you know, a death sentence financially for folks. And so we were able to help you know millions of families avoid that through. Some training programs and, and and some small business training that that we did. It just grew really rapidly. It was, I think, number twenty one on the Inc. five hundred fastest growing companies and things like that. It is no longer around, but but we had a pretty wild ride. And I think I was in my my mid twenties, and at one point had a hundred people rolling up to me. And you know, it was it was it was definitely formative years for me and learning how to lead, what behaviors are you know and values you know work. When when you're trying to inspire people and and what you know creates a toxic culture and 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 how to navigate the two and yeah I, I think you know and again that was sort of my first four way into realizing hey you can have a mission that 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 serves people and there can be a a a capitalistic component to it these things aren't um, mutually exclusive it's okay to 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 make money and and there to be a value exchange that works and simultaneously be serving other communities. I, I think of, you know, what we, what I refer to that as a triple bottom line, you know, people plan and profit. You can't sit on a one-legged stool or a two-legged stool. You can't only serve one of those, but if you serve all three, you have something that, that works and is sustainable on its own right and, and, and worthy of pursuit.
0: It, it's interesting. I, I'm sure you feel this way. Like I look around and I kind of see the way, some of the way the businesses or pr- practices are. And I think, I can appreciate that these people, whoever they are that are making a lot of money, but sort of being really destructive at the same time, I, I'm always fascinated at thinking how they don't think it's coming back on them. You know, it's like if it's clean air or water or the food quality or whatever, it's like, well, your family's going to eat, you're going to breathe the air. You're, it's, It's an interesting thing of like, I'll get what I can get right now. And it's like, well, but... You know, if you are considering all the components, like you're saying, the planet and the other human beings that we're with, it's I I wonder why we don't teach that in business school. And I know it's not as profitable or quick, but it feels like the the long end of that story. You know, I don't know how we don't realize that we'll run out of runway. You know, by doing it just that way. Okay, so epic how did you get involved? Why did you say, yes, I'm going to get involved with this company? What what about it you thought, oh, okay, this, because I'm sure you did your homework and, you know, ran numbers. And these are, again, these are hard things to take on. Uh, what was it about it that you thought this is going to be my next adventure?
1: You know, coming out of that initial, that, that first startup, yeah, you know, I think eventually that un- unwound as as myself and the CEO sort of parted parted ways. And we just weren't seeing eye to eye on, 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 on where to take that business. And you know, I was looking at the next move and there, I had an opportunity to go you know, lead a, 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 a private equity backed roll up of acquiring a handful of companies and combine them and, and try to flip it and do, and do all this stuff in the logistics space. And again, it was sort of a, a exci- an exciting opportunity on paper and probably a really good opportunity if you're a finance person. But it really wasn't in the same vein as, uh, you know, I didn't have, uh, the mission wasn't there for me. And it was and it was interesting and it was very secure and it was sort of an op- it was just an opportunity I couldn't say no to. It was too lucrative. And two of my really good friends, you know, Katie, who I grew up with in the same neighborhood and, and Taylor, who I went to middle school and high school with and who later fell in love and started Epic and i've kept i kept in touch with them and you know it was a, a, a neat little concept they had a, a vegan energy bar company called thunderbird energetica which eventually turned into epic as their food values changed
0: i love this idea of food values because you know that's the other thing we've managed to make even that kind of contentious between people like you have to eat like this or you have to eat like that it's an in- i just find that really interesting that they were able and willing to pivot kind of based on who they were becoming sort of now they're the reflection in their even in their business that's i think that's kind of interesting
1: <laughs> yeah well you know and, and and they were performance athletes and you know at the time we're talking again we're talking early you know mid to pre-teens but right mm-hmm. around there around 2011 or so i think uh and um you know i think they were following the conventional guidance and wisdom and there was a lot of you look at a lot of the the nutrition and health influencers, they went through a period of time of being vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. And, I, and I think these are folks that are on the cutting edge that are paying attention, that are lo- reading research and looking at what's coming out. There was a lot coming out that was, that was promoting those values. It was promoting certain, well, I call them myths now, but um, it, it was creating awareness to challenge it, potential challenges in food systems and, 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 and promising certain, certain health outcomes and benefits. And I think they went down that path and, and, and bought in and tried and, and, Loved some of the some of the stuff that came from it, particularly a set of values that honors land that honors animals and their welfare and that respects humans, whether that be on the you know production side or whether that be on the consumption side and and seeks to basically have an elevated consciousness and in your and in, in, in how and what you consume to to care about you know something greater than yourself and and I think that permeated. Through the the brand that they had established, even when the the food itself changed, and it changed, you know, for them, they were having health issues, GI issues, inflammation issues. The, the the vegan diet wasn't working for them as advertised. In fact, it was creating pretty significant challenges. And when they made a change in their diet, they saw significant and immediate benefits. And, and myself, I was you know had a similar experience prior, and other folks I've known have had similar experiences. And so it was really trying it was sort of like, oh no, wait a minute, you know, we can't it can't you can't have meat and all those positive outcomes. And that was really that was really what we had thought and been conditioned to believe and now know is is not true, that you can enjoy animal-based protein and simultaneously be supporting systems that have positive outcomes and ecosystems and for welfare of communities and for the health and wellness of consumers and the welfare and benefit of of animals. And so anyway that was that was the 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 origin of of the ethos of epic and then of course epic you know we we ended up i'm i'm getting ahead of myself because you were asking my connect like how did this what the story of this brand and then how the story of how I came to it i came to it right about that time right as it was transitioning from a vegan company to a meat to a meat bar and and, and basically my friends who I'd been keeping in touch with said hey wait a minute this thing is You know, we're about one second in, and it's already lapping the core business that's multiple years old, and and we're having a hard time wrangling this this growth and the potential. And we think that you know, we want you to come help us scale this business and 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 allow it to fulfill what it can be. And so that's how we joined forces, and how I got to Epic, and why Epic was so much more inspiring me than some you know traditional academic you know seeming opportunity in, in the finance industry. This was like, wait a minute, we can go challenge conventional thinking around meat and Mm -hmm. support you know people's health and performance and improve food systems and supply chains screw it let's give it a go and you know it wasn't (laughs) i found out pretty quickly that i that it was we were really early and uh Um, you know i think my i think within my my third day on the job i found out we weren't going to be able to make payroll so that was a little bit of a rude awakening but it was a it's been a happy story ever since so
0: how do you on something like that? Because when as the demand grows and Epic really landed in a lot of places, how do you get the product? Because I feel like that's a hard when you're doing it the way that you're doing it. And, and I want to talk about that even you know now for Force of Nature. It's almost like there's sort of is there a restraint because you you can't just be like okay, well we're just going to get all the any product we need. There's there because of the way you're doing it. Was there times where it was like yeah we don't. We don't have that as much meat or of that type as we can't get our hands on the right kind.
1: Yeah, I think I think we're having to build supply chains as we grow. We did at Epic, and and, and we are mm-hmm. at Force of Nature, and you know a big. I mean, again, that's a, we're we're doing we're doing an interesting director's trick. We're 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 walking through two timelines simultaneously here. Yeah, but, all right. Um, yeah. But but I think. You know, one of the things we learned at Epic is that we could scale supply chains faster than consumer demand could appreciate what was what was available. Got and it. one of the things with Force of Nature is uh, a, a, a direct and intentional focus on the consumer to help create awareness around the challenges in our food system and the, the, the challenges with the products that they're that they're buying. And not not disparaging, not telling people that they need to think or change their set of values, but I think the average consumer has a pretty clear understanding of what they desire, what their values are and what they hope and, and what sort of system they expect to be involved in. And I would say complicit and supporting. And I think that when they buy things that say natural or grass-fed or organic or free range or pasture, whatever the claim is, their expectation exceeds reality that the system is, is letting them down and misleading them to think that they're getting something that is better than, than they are. And I think the consumer is so powerful in this economy. And, and I mean, you look, you look over through t- all through history and time, and you look at how movements of people can change the course of history. And I think we're in one of those really unique moments where I think consumers just need to know the truth and transparency. And I think if we give them that, and we demonstrate that, hey, there is an outlet that actually offers the things that you already value and that you already thought you were getting, and this is what it looks like. And it's called regenerative. And, and, and I can explain more mm-hmm. um, that many, many, many consumers would, would choose that path. The baseline, no matter what
0: you're doing, and especially if you're talking about food, and I just know this from our, even from our side, and it's very different and a lot easier, you know, doing layered superfood than doing what you're doing is the fight for high quality ingredients and margins and, you know, just all of that conversation over and over so that's why i was just curious at epic because they did grow they did have a market penetration that was interesting and i thought this is really unique that they're able to do this so i i guess from that i was trying to just understand that so you
1: well, i guys- think, I, think, so I remember and, and so that and that was the, the moral of of what I was trying to say there is that we figured out that we could scale those supply chains faster Mm -hmm. than, than demand. And so let's work on the demand generation and that's where force of nature comes in. And I think taking that mission, you know, and some of those key themes and concepts and the ethos of Epic and, and converting it from ounces to pounds and meat as an industry is something like 98% household penetration. And you're, you're, you're looking at multiple Meals a day or multiple occasions a day where somebody's consuming meat, you know the opportunity with small shifts to to have massive and positive impact is, is is pretty encouraging very exciting
0: it is and I know this sounds strange, but I also feel like when you get the good stuff you need you eat a lot less of it if someone sends me something that they've hunted or I get your brand, I eat a lot less of it, it because it's almost like whatever you need it comes in a much smaller amount I know that's maybe seem strange, but I
1: I, feel- I don't, I don't think it is. We see it, you know, I think Fred Provenza is an awesome guy who wrote a book called nourishment. You know, it's like, how do animals know what to eat? They don't have written, right. you know, text or language or, you know, science or health classes, but somehow they know what they, what their body needs. We have those same mechanisms in that, in that yeah. wisdom and in, in us. And I think when we're eating food that is nutritionally dense, we don't require as much of it. And if we, and if our carrots have a fraction of the you know, beta carotene or or whatever that we're looking for, we're, our body's going to tell us to eat more of them than we need. And and I think, yeah, you know, I think that what you're saying, the science backs it.
0: Yeah, it's. I find it. I mean, I I kind of love it because also I I really enjoy, especially, you know, high quality protein. I really enjoy it. I'm wildly iron deficient. I want it all the time, and I'm like, oh, I only need just a tiny amount. You know, I have a friend named Kelly Starrett, and we joke that in the perfect world. It's like, if you had the kind of animal protein that you offer at force of nature, the perfect diet is vegetarian with a condiment of, you know, animal protein (laughs) pretty much. But, um, so you go from Epic and you think, okay, we've learned all these lessons and you decide to create force of nature. Yes. How do you put that together? And it's similar. Was there a period of time you weren't allowed to? Was there a non-compete? Where is it just like, hey? Um, and then is there a difference in kind of the description of like your regenerative? Like, is Epic, is that the same thing, or is it a little different? Like, was there something that you did also different in the sourcing of your
1: protein? The transition was, as I mentioned before, it's a, it's just a much bit, you know, epic. We sold bars and some broths and some. Some jerky and some skins, and and these are all, you know, materially decent-sized categories, but they're not meat. They're also shelf stable and shelf packaged, and we're not doing that. We don't have any intention to do that. We're looking to actually feed people, not give them snacks. With this company, I think, you know, portable healthy nutrition is has has a role, no doubt. But I think the the three meals a day that most people are eating is a much bigger opportunity to drive impact and mission and change, um, and improve Mm -hmm. their own their circumstances as well as the circumstances of a, of a of a broader group of stakeholders, so we we're not we're not competing with Epic, and so that was never an issue. The, the sourcing standards, though, you know, I, I think we've elevated those. With Epic, it was you know early on we, we were learning, you know, it was sort of paleo movement, subs- and then later on keto, certainly low glycemic and gluten free. These are all things that had, that had come up, as had you know this idea of grass fed or 100 grass fed, and I think we were amongst some of the earlier. People and and brands to follow, you know, to get to go down, I should say, the rabbit hole of regenerative and learn what that what that really was and meant. And so, you know, I I think with with Epic, we learned so much through that period that by the time you know we got to the the end of our 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 time with Epic, we had you know we probably would go back and do some things differently. And we got the chance to do that with Force of Nature. You know, I think you even mentioned. Protein, you know. Right now, we we have very very limited offerings of poultry or or pork with with Force of right. Nature, because those systems. It's almost like the smaller the animal, the 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 more they take to industrialization. The more we can manipulate them through selective breeding. The more we can manipulate their environment. The the, the somehow we justify more cruel treatment for them and 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 for us to find a minimum bar in those those supply chains is 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 challenging you know it's just like there's that we you don't want to let perfection be the enemy of progress but there's a certain standard i'm not willing to go below and it's much more difficult to find that in those categories versus the, the the ruminant proteins and so ruminant being um you know beef bison animals that eat grass and upcycle it into into nutrition which we can get into regenerative and why that's why that's so important, but I think I think our sourcing standards have have significantly gone up, and we're we're largely trying to drive change around regenerative.
0: So when when people hear regenerative, and we're being very specific today with meat, but let let's just say in farming, there's sort of these kind of principles that people are following, whether it's n- no tilling and and you know trying to keep something planted as long as possible. I know that different guardrails get put up by different kind of regenerative farmers, maybe. It, To to your best ability, if you you could sort of blanket statement kind of the principles when it comes to regenerative, whether it is agriculture or, you know, what you guys are are doing. And then what's the percentage of farms that are regenerative? It's like, I don't know, is it like under, it's under 1%, right? Something like that?
1: Yeah, it's negligible. It's under 1%. In the States, but, you know, globally... I think 40% of agriculture is still subsistence farming. Um, and when you're subsistence farming, you gotta, you gotta be investing in your resource base. And it's only in, in the industrialized farming ways that, it, that we think we can extract from it indefinitely and that it will continue to serve us. Yeah. Um, the, you know, th- there are, there are some, some core principles of regenerative agriculture that I think are widely regarded and, and, and accepted. Mm-hmm. I- I'll, I'll, I'll start with this too, though. You know, food systems are rely on on healthy land, and healthy land comes from diversity. It comes from plants and animals functioning in harmony. It's through the millennia of those those cycles and, and relationships that our our land bases had fertility instilled into them that we've been benefiting from. And and we can either work with those cycles and and try to emulate them, or we can try to break those cycles and, and, and mine that fertility. And I think that's sort of a, a, a core awareness that I think it's important to have. And I would go and I would also say you can do that. A, plant agriculture does not deserve a free pass. Animal agriculture does not deserve a free pass. The industrial models, whether it's monocrop farming for, for corn and soy, where you kill everything on the land by tilling it, you kill everything by spraying it. Then you spray five more times and you're running a tractor and there's no life. Now this is this is not healthy for the land or for any wildlife or for ecosystems or for waterways or pollinators or you. And that's how and why glyphosate's showing up in, in, in breast milk and urine. And I think similarly, when you look at you know waste lagoons and animals piled on top of each other, living in environments that aren't compatible with life and are engineered where they don't even exhibit biological behaviors. And you know again all the things that you you hear you know represented. The challenges of animal agriculture; those, those are those also aren't appropriate in natural ecosystems. And so, it's not about plant-based or animal-based. It's, I'd say, it's it's about planet-based. Are we yeah. are we practicing agriculture in a way that actually works on this the circle that we're the globe that we live on? Um, th- those principles. Now, keeping in mind that this is, applies to animals and plants, there's six of them. And my co-founder Taylor and I did a, did a pod, We have a podcast called Where Hope Grows. And we did a podcast on these, and we spoke for almost two hours just on these. But uh, the, the first one—I guess, really, no particular order—but the first one is limit chemical and mechanical disturbance. Mm-hmm. So tilling is is, is really bad. Um, spraying can, can to the, for the land spraying can be really bad. It's, it can poison water. It can kill things. I mean, it's just these are the things you don't want to do. So. Um, I'll, I'll try not to get go too far into each one because, again, we could talk forever about it. But the next one is to leave the, the soil covered or armored. Bare, bare soil gets really hot in the summer. It gets really cold in the winter. Life dies. You know, Soil microbiology dies. You put a thermometer in the ground, it's 150 degrees. It's past the temperature needed to kill pathogens and food, if you think about that. So um, it also promotes wind and rain erosion. And, and it can cause capping, which can limit rain infiltration inversely if you leave organic matter and you know dying decaying stuff that can actually feed the soil and it can armor it and protect it from all of those things that i just that i just listed off um green green growing plants with living roots year round when plants are alive photosynthesis is happening when photosynthesis is happening carving carbon is being mined out of the atmosphere and put into the soil I, I think we have this misconception of carbon carbon is not our enemy we are Carbon-based life. You take the water out and we're carbon, and we need it. And our soil needs it. And our and, and our and our food systems have seen a significant loss of carbon as we've industrialized them. And, and we need that life, that that building block of life in the soil. And what's gonna in, in, in your health and my health and the health of what's above the soil is gonna be a reflection of the health of what's beneath the soil. So we need we need carbon, we need plants doing the carbon exchange, the nutrient cycle, the energy cycle. They take the energy of the sun and and they convert it into into sugar for the soil the water cycle all of it relies on on these things and we when we till and leave fields bare none of that happens then diversity everything has a role you know I, we we live in an age of reductionism we just wish we could just take life and distill it down in a series of a few rudimentary equations and it doesn't work like that it is the diversity the complexity and 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 the the you know for every undesirable pest species that you may spray an insecticide for there's thousands of desirable species um, that could be mitigating against it and provide a positive impact so why are you indiscriminately killing and then the same thing with animals and, and, the, and the next principle is animal impact mm-hmm. you know our most of the uh, prime agriculture land is in grasslands and most grasslands evolved with large herds of ruminant animals and here in the states we have the stories of bison roaming from mexico to canada and, You see Lewis and Clark's journals, it might take a day or a week for a herd of bison to move by millions of animals, tens of millions of animals. And you have to think that these land systems, before the bison was the the, the large bison, before that was mammoths, these land systems and these grasses and these prairie systems evolved with these um, ruminant animals performing keystone, you know, the, the keystone ecosystem services that they performed, you know, being being drivers of 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 positive change. And so we need that um contribution to a, to a functioning ecosystem we need animals just much like we need plants much like we need insects uh, impacting our food systems and then the last principle is context you have to know your context you can't be trying to produce tropical fruit in alaska um, and or, or vice versa And you know if you're somebody that has you know a bi- if you're a billionaire and you're just trying to do the right thing you can pour capital into something to try to to ignite change if if you're if you can't, if you're having trouble scraping two nickels together, but you got 10 kids, you have a whole lot of human horsepower that that you can apply. And you know, some land systems get more rain than others, and some have you know different. So so I think just knowing that, like, hey, not everybody's gonna be the same and, and, and understanding where you have strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and limitations is, is is really important. So I'd say those are the six most widely regarded fundamental tenets of regenerative agriculture. And if you look at what nature does when we leave it alone is it tries to do those things (laughs) and I think the challenge with rewilding and the challenge with the the misconception that regenerative is just the the absence of humans just go backwards to how it was take a step that that that's not a reality we've we've largely eliminated the bison we've eliminated all of the predators that caused the bison to move we've fenced in all the land we've dammed up all the waterways these natural systems can no longer function in their historical sense. And so there is a new reality where we can celebrate that wisdom of nature and and bring those cycles back to life and work with them. But we have to do it with human ingenuity and technology and management. And, and I don't think it means technology in the sense of laboratories and chemicals and, and engineering as much as it means technology in the sense of how do we use our brilliance and our ingenuity to harmonize with these food systems and to uh, make subtle adjustments that um, allow us to work with nature instead of against it. I mean, I think in a game where we're battling nature, I got I'm betting on nature.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Babel. Let me show you. Le está gustando mi podcast. Huh? How's that going? I have vowed. I grew up in the Caribbean and my parents, my stepfather and my mother both speak perfect Spanish. Yes, they used to talk about me all the time in Spanish. And I vowed that I just need to brush up and try to practice. So Babbel has not only an incredible offer for you today, an amazing program. So listen, there's the best way and they agree is full immersion, go there, fall in love, live in a country. That's the best way. But Babel, it's the second best way to learn a new language. And one in five Americans are like, it's on their bucket list. Hey, I want to learn a new language. I don't know about you, but when I travel, the idea of the fantasy of if I could really speak to the people there in their language, I just come home thinking, I've got to learn French. I have to learn Italian. And Babbel can provide that for you. So maybe you do have travel plans. Here's your motivation. It's a, a lot less expensive. Private tutors are very, very costly. And they teach you real people, real conversations. So it's like, hey, order food, get around, directions, things like that. They've really thought about the program. And the other interesting thing is Michigan State and Yale, and there were all these studies about the program. And what they found is that 15 hours of Babel was equivalent to one full semester of college. And a lot of us are busy and crazy. But who doesn't have a little bit of time, especially when we know, hey, they thought about it, it's concise, I can get it done, it'll be practical, and I can use it. Well, they have an incredible offer for you today. All you have to do is go to babble.com. that's B-A-B-B-E-L, and you will get 55% at Babbel.com slash Gabby. Again, that's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Gabby, and you will save 55% on their course and some rules and restrictions may apply. This podcast is brought to you by Juneshine. Now, I do not sell anything on this podcast that I wouldn't personally use myself, or at least give to my friends. And you've heard me say time and time again, I'm not a big drinker, but I will have a hard kombucha from time to time. And that is how I got initially introduced to June Shine, which is from my friend, Whitney Cummings. Of course, she sent me some June Shine. She was like, lighten up, Gabby, have some June Shine. Well, now they've got canned cocktails. I guess it's very popular. But what I've learned is that canned cocktails, a lot of times will have tons of sugar. Like 20 to 27 grams. You guys don't need that. So what they have is premium transparent ingredients with no added sugar. So they've got margarita, vodka soda, rum cocktails, all that stuff that you guys like. And this is how I'm using it in my house mostly, the June shine, is I just really like to have something to offer my friends because we are pretty boring and they really appreciate it when I have something else. So it's an incredibly just better for you alcohol. It's an adult beverage that again, no added sugar. The other thing about the company is they're carbon neutral, so they have a partnership with Climate Neutral. They donate 1% of sales to environmental nonprofits, and their brewing is powered by 100% renewable energy. And this is what they say. You can go to a market. They're in over 10,000 stores, stores like Ralph's, Vaughn's, Albertson's, places that you shop, Kroger's, Bevmo, Safeway, and so many more, Whole Foods. And we've worked out a special deal for you. If you go into any of these stores, you can buy one June Shine package and get the second for only a penny. That's like $12 to $20 in value. And what I would do is just go in and see some of the variety packs. It's really a great way to see which ones you like and check out all the different flavors. So all you have to do is go to June Shine, that's J-U-N-E-S-H-I-N-E, juneshine.com slash Gabby. And text them a photo of your receipt and they'll Venmo you immediately. I mean, this is modern times people. So that's juneshine.com slash Gabby, and they will Venmo you after you send a picture of your receipt. It's that easy. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and you know, live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have it's really quick. They've got 10 minute lessons, and but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know, like talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you you know, speak a new language. In fact, a study showed, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer for a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now. You can get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com Gabby. So to get 50% off at babbel.com slash Gabby. That's babbel, dot com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. How does the regular person, the householder, maybe who's, who's overwhelmed with life and family and jobs, What is it that they can do? But is it simply by purchasing the products? Like, meaning buying things that are doing it the right way. Like, what are, what are the things people can do? Because I think people, the minute they look at it and they go, Oh my gosh, less than 1% it's happening. It's, it takes time. It's more expensive. You know, it's all of the things. It's what life is really, right? It's, it's in certain ways harder they get overwhelmed. So they just go, okay, I'm just not going to deal with it. What, what can we say to them? What's the invitation and how, how do you guys, cause you're doing it, but how do you, where does your hope come from that uh, there's a future for this?
1: It it sounds defeating to to hear it, especially when you think about the scale and and the scale is massive. I mean, the earth is, I think thirty billion acres or so not covered in ice and I think we do agriculture, practice agriculture on 11 billion of those acres. The United States is like 2.2 billion acres, we practice agriculture on like 900 million, so think 50% of the United States is being managed for food production in some ways. I mean, that's not that's not any it shouldn't be surprised. It's it's big, it's a lot. But when you fly, you look down, you see the checkerboard. You know, it's, it's it's not hard to to imagine. But that scale, you know, at that scale, bad is really bad. And and it can cause a lot of harm. But at that scale, good is really good and it can and it can heal. And we know that the planet can heal fast and we know that people can can change. And I think, um, again, that's that's a, that's a big part of the reason why we're doing what we do at Force of Nature. I think that that ties into the second part of your question. What what can people do? Uh, I, I think for us, you know, in this particular industry and in, and in, in, in meat, for example, the call to action for consumers was really Really challenging. It was go read a bunch of books, go listen to a bunch of podcasts, educate yourself, figure out how to validate what is and isn't regenerative. Cause it is a term that is being thrown around loosely and actively being greenwashed and, and understand what it is truly and, and, and what, and, and determine your own value set. And then go subsequent to that and find a place that's offering, you know, that's practicing those and offering what you're looking for. And if they're doing that for, for, for vegetables, great. Then go find another place doing it for beef and then go find another place doing it for pork and so on. And I think people should do that. hundred I'm not saying don't do that, mm-hmm. but the masses, they're they're the, the people that are willing or able to do that are fewer and further between than the folks who have what are have good intentions but are busy. And that's just asking a bit much. And and I and I think, you know, so for force of nature, we're trying to be a brand that you can form a relationship with and will be familiar at a national scale uh, cross proteins. So we'll have, you know, whether you want, if you want bison or you want beef, or if you want a breakfast sausage or you want a a steak for dinner, you want a hot dog to feed your kid for lunch with that, that's honoring these sourcing, um, standards and so on. We do it in in retail. You can walk into a grocery store and buy it. You can order it online. We'll ship it to your door. You can walk into a, a restaurant and a lot of restaurants are serving our products. And so the whole point was, as I mentioned earlier, awareness about these important issues, and then access so that so that there's actually something that you can do about it easier than 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 prior and I, and i and i say often i'll say again i think we're the, the third best source of meat i think the best source is you know to actually go through a really trying and challenging physical and emotional journey to harvest your own and and struggle and fail and appreciate the abundance that we have and appreciate you know uh, the sacrifice that it takes all around to 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 create animal protein and to form relationship in a, in a truly human and and an evolutionary sense with that food and and, that, and a reverence and a respect and appreciation for it, when you when you feed your family or or your community with it, I think the second best source is that you either have a regenerative farm or you have a regenerative farm next door, and you sh- you can do it. You can support that person locally if you have a farmer at a farmer's market that's doing this. Buy their products, not force of nature. I mean, that's just it just it's, it's easy to say use your own, grow your own, or or, or, or support your community, but for a lot of folks that, as I mentioned before, that aren't quite there and aren't quite sure, you know, force of nature is is, is a great option. Um, and that's where we try to be. And, and and we're doing everything we can to raise the bar uh, all the time.
0: Let's say I'm going to make it up Kirkland, Costco, whatever. I don't know which is the mothership of that, but they go, they sell a ton of meat and How would a company like that, that I think they have, they can, they only are, I think it's like a 15% sort of markup from whatever their cost is. That's it. I I think something like that could, could one of those big guys, could they pull it? Could they do it? Even if it was just, okay, one part of our free, our, our, you know, cold section meat is this type of meat. Is this, do you, is this possible?
1: Yeah, I mean if 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 the question is is regenerative agriculture scalable, the answer is absolutely yes. If the question is if there's willingness and intention or desire from large players like Costco, the answer is also yes. I think that they see, you know, one of the interesting things around meat and animal agriculture is conversations never been more amplified. Meat is now a part of the public discourse. It's not just something that you go to the store to buy, it's something that the news reports on and Companies emerging into the scene get get talked about, and and and, and articles are written. And so, I think that it's on notice. And I think, mm. or, 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 I think the incumbency is on is on notice. I think there's a really interesting thing that has happened with meat. And I think it's it happens with commodities in general. You know, this the celebration of price above all else at the expense of all else. There was a race to the bottom with me. and simultaneously, there's been a a, a food revolution occurring and it started in the center of the store. Things that come in boxes started to put claims on the package and started to make promises about values to consumers. And consumers said, hey, wait a minute, you know, more than I I care about how much I pay and I care about the convenience and I care about if it tastes good, but I care also care about if it's healthy. And I also care about if it if it's supporting a cause that I'm that I'm aligned with and I that I value. And, And that movement has begun to Permeate into the perimeter of the store. It's happened in dairy, yogurt, and eggs, and, and I think it, it hasn't happened yet in, in meat. But we are we're trying to help um, catalyze that. At the end of the day, nobody's going to make a, a product a consumer won't buy. They're not going to do it. It doesn't matter if it's if it's Kirkland Costco, like you said, or JBS Tyson Cargill. You know they're gonna, they're going to make what consumers want. Historically, with meat, consumers were sort of a cog in their machine. We were good. Little soldiers buying what we were told to buy, how we were told to buy it, valuing what we were told to value. And, and and I think with when you look at the trends, when you look at what's happening in the conversation around meat, there's starting to be a little bit more awareness, a little bit more accountability. And I and I don't think, and you kind of mentioned this early, I, I don't necessarily I choose not to believe that there's individual people in those organizations that are just pure evil. I think that they have incentives that motivate them to make choices that are entirely profit-driven which is their fiduciary duty to their board at the expense of other constituencies. And I think the consumer should be able to hold them accountable for that. I think they should be able to respond and do better. And I think when you look at the race to the bottom that I mentioned, nobody asked the consumer, hey, we're gonna abuse this animal forever going forward and it's gonna save you 25 cents. Would you, would you, would you accept that abuse or would you prefer to just pay 25 cents more? I think the overwhelming majority of consumers would have said, oh, yeah, no, I I, I won't make that trade off and I won't make the trade off that compromises my health and I won't make the trade off. You know, the, the truth is, you know, the, the consumer was was left out of the calculus. And I think what we're trying to do is let the consumer come back in and say, hey, I don't want cheap food. I want food that is valuable and I want food that reflects reflects the true cost, because I, I would I would argue that the cheapest food in the grocery store is Probably the most expensive. We just don't see the direct those those costs directly reflected on the sticker. You know, cheap meat, commodity meat, the average consumer pays for it three times. You pay for it in your tax dollars, you pay for it at the register, and then you pay for it in the form of the hidden externalities, the land degradation, the the, the health costs that you're, you're deferring to the future, the human toll. For the, the the workers in those systems, and so on and so forth, and I, I don't think that those should be hidden costs. I think that we should have the true cost truly reflected, and I think value should be brought back into the center stage of the conversation around food, and so should nutrient density, like you mentioned, and 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 the health component. And so I think all of that gives gives me, you know, going back to your earlier question, hope, because I think I, I know I'm a consumer. You're a consumer. I see it every day. I I, I truly believe that consumers. Want something different than they're getting? I know that it is available and scalable, and I know that if consumer has an op- ha- has has the opportunity to send a signal into the markets, those large incumbents will respond.
0: Let's say you have a big you have a big uh, you know large area in particular um, you know vegetables and plants, herbs, what have you. Is there a way? What is the way that you can you know kill menacing either weeds or other plants? Uh, without spraying is it is it possible
1: it it requires a mind it is possible, and I think it requires a mindset shift. I would say, are the plants and weeds really menacing, or are they performing an ecosystem service that you should be paying attention to and they're telling you something? Are they telling you there's toxins in the soil that the thistle are helping to remove, much like when you drink thistle tea um are there is there is there a lack of some sort of element? That is needed. Are they? You know what? What are those? What are those "quote unquote" weeds doing? It's biology. It's there for a reason. Nature has selected for it to put it in in that place to to do a job. And so, is there an alternative that you could plant to do that same job and then harvest as a crop, or plant in lieu of buying nitrogen fertilizer? Right? You could you plant some legumes or. Or, or turnips, or or some other nitrogen. The atmosphere is seventy eight percent nitrogen. Why are we buying nitrogen and spraying it on the land with tractors when there is plants that harvest that nitrogen and put it in the ground? And so it, it, there is a, a lot of things that you can do. And 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 then there's a there's a there's a piece of equipment called a, a no till drill or a no till tractor. And it has it it goes through and it doesn't you know a typical tractor with a disc that's tilling has these discs that are kind of you know, shape that angles and they dig into the ground to a preset depth and they lift everything up and turn it over. And that really disrupts the fungal networks, all of the soil life. It exposes them, it oxidizes them, which causes carbon release. If you look at the Kiss the Ground documentary, you look at the images of carbon being released in the atmosphere during all the, the seasons where they're tilling, you get a sense of of how some of this works. Alternatively, there's a thing called a, a no-till drill, which just runs a single blade very, very, you know, not deep at all on, into the ground. It just sort of just slightly creates a little bit of a crease in an opening, drops the seed in, and then a wheel rolls behind it and closes it. And in a lot of landscapes, you can't even see where that has run. And it's run through living matter. And then, you know, whatever you've planted, whether it's a cover crop or whether it's a, a crop you're harvesting um, comes from. it. I think Gabe Brown has done a ton of work in this area of creating a lot, a lot of stuff. And you end up with, you know, to your point about undesirables, you can outcompete them with desirables and you can be, you can have, in a single planting, 10 or 15 revenue streams coming out of there, or, you know, five revenue streams and three things that are cost saving, like nitrogen fixing plants. And so there's a lot of ways to do that, up to and including in the end, instead of tilling all of it in, running animals on it and letting them eat the, you know, the excess and and drop, you know, trample it down so the biology on the soil can can convert it back into more healthy soil and dropping manure and urine to nourish that soil and you know just having again you know honoring those principles of regenerative that we were talking about
0: are there any big guys showing up being doing being a little heroic in this space whether it's an individual well, person or a company is anyone kind of really sticking their neck out and sort of going for it or is it just groups of people like yourselves and the other people that founded uh, force of nature with you just you know kind of coming together and and trying to create this these networks and an aud- and, and a consumer, or are there any big guys who are going, who are making a move that are making moves?
1: Yeah, I th- I think it, the answer is both. Again, I mentioned earlier that I think I think momentum is gaining steam. If you look at the the the, the studies of consumers, that it would say that regenerative is gaining popularity faster than organic did. It took organic twenty years, thirty years to get to where it is, but. You know, I, I don't want to wait twenty or thirty years for, for regenerative, but but it isn't. But it is encouraging. There are other companies doing regenerative, and and it's a term that you just start to see thrown around more and more and more and more. Uh, and there is a groundswell. There's not for profits. You know, Kiss the Ground, Savory Institute. You know, so many others. Um, I think um, there are government entities. There is there is an international movement, and then yes, there are there are large large businesses general mills pepsico danone they've all made regenerative commitments i think the challenge is a will they actually follow through on those commitments and b what what will regenerative take when they try to match their audacious commitment with reality and how will it be watered down and potentially greenwash and i think that's where there's a little bit of a race to establish a a, a definition or an awareness or to to raise the bar as high as possible before there becomes an an incentive to start lowering it and to maybe ensure that there's more transparency. So lowering it becomes more challenging. So again, I I, I think, you know, it's hard to convince consumers to just turn a package around and pay attention to the number of ingredients that are in it. And if they can even pronounce them to tell them to hold folks accountable to a a true definition of regenerative, I think is is a, is a big ask. I would say the easier ask is demand transparency. You, you your eyes won't lie to you. You know, if somebody's saying they're regenerative, great, show me. If that looks like regenerative to you, if it looks like your ideal vision of of a of a utopian food system, then fantastic. If it looks like the same old thing with a fancy word slapped on the label and a little bit of earthy tone rebranding, then it's probably bullshit.
0: Yeah. I mean, I find that with organic and You know, I see that so often it becomes trendy and then everyone's like, oh, great. You know, how do I jump on that? Can we slide over just talking a little bit about kind of the importance of carbon and even, you know, I do find it fascinating the last five years how everyone's all of a sudden so just, you know, obsessed and, you know, with climate change. Now, somehow they managed to make this super popular and political and now everyone is all concerned about climate change. Which the reason that bo- doesn't I won't say that it bothers me, but the reason it maybe concerns me is because even if it's true, it feels more like a trend versus no. Let's really understand, and instead, you know, how are we going to f- fix it? And rather than yelling back and forth at each other, it's like what are the systems in place, i.e., regenerative farming, that could actually support truly climate change, not. You know some of the things that get just thrown out there in this kind of sweeping conversation. Um, so a really simple thing about carbon and how it impacts, you know, the air, of the the world that we live in, and climate change. I mean, it's a really important part of all of this.
1: I, I think I share your sentiments. If I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, I, I don't like the politicization of it. I don't like the polarization. You know, I, I think the climate is changing. Um, I think the climate has changed a lot over history, and and it's we've since the last ice age we've been on a warming trend. The question is, how much have we deviated from, and and how much can we have we done, and can we do to to to, to affect that? I hate that. You know, I when I think about climate change, I also think about the fact that you know small precipitation and climate is controlled by you know, moisture and, and organic matter in our soils. And so I'm thinking that like, hey, we're causing climate change because we don't have, because we've, we've disrupted so much of the landmass that um, should be supporting um, our weather cycles. I, th- I think about beyond even climate though, I think about the life expectancy declining and fertility declining and loss of pollinators and the acidification of oceans and you know the fact that we lose one percent of insect species every year, and I mean it's there's a there's a complex web of these large existential crises, and and I and I just I don't I just don't like the reductionist thinking that brings us. It's like it's science is settled. It's only one thing, and it's this, and and there's one solution only. And and, and no, I think we need to have discussion and debate, and we need to you know honestly address these challenges. I think so many of them tie back to agriculture and the disruption that we have caused. And I think that is where I would say some of the questions that you've asked have been like, well, can this work? Is it scalable? And I would and I would say, you know, I've I've told people just in this conversation alone, hey, challenge convention, you know, stop and pause and think critically about it. And I would I would cha- challenge the premise of some of your questions. And I would say, can the existing can the existing existing system work? And I think the answer to that is no. I think I think that the existing system has a shelf life. And we're and we're coming towards the end of that. And we have an illusion of choice. Change is going to be thrust upon us, or we can willingly and consciously make that change now. And, and, and I think regenerative is is in, in a lot of the things we've been talking about today is the best course. It's most cost effective. It's what the mo- it's, it's a system is set up for. It doesn't require any major, you know, incremental effort or new novel technology. It's just some subtle shifts and changes uh, uh, along the way around uh, carbon specifically. I think. 30 or 40% of the legacy load of carbon in the atmosphere right now that is man-made is from tilling. So we talk about running cars and we talk about transportation and enteric emission and burps of cattle maybe. The reality is when you run a disc in the ground and you turn it over and it oxidizes, like I said, you release carbon into the atmosphere. 40% of the human cause load in the atmosphere is because we till to grow crops. To me, those crops get fed to animals that shouldn't be eating them. but, um, but but, 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 you know, you go to the grocery store, you see corn in every on the, on the ingredient deck of everything on in, in a box. And so it's, you know, we're, we're part of that as well. I think the, so you look at, you, you look at like where are the sources of, of, of this carbon coming from? The, the other thing is how does carbon end up in the soil? Why should, why should carbon be in the soil? What, what, what is this guy talking about? And And I mentioned photosynthesis earlier, you know, this is sort of, you know, maybe a refresher for some of us from fourth or fifth grade and that's, About as deep as my understanding goes, and and my qualifications permit me to to share. But, you know, when when I think everybody understands that a plant brings in CO2, like we bring in oxygen and exhale exhale CO2, plants bring in CO2 and release oxygen. Well, what's actually happening? Well, the the, the plants are taking the energy from the sun and, and that CO2 that we're talking about, and they're bringing it into the plant. They're dropping, they're turning sugars, they're, they're energizing themselves, they release some of the sugars into the ground, it feeds a complex web of life down there where this is the currency that exudates and the exudates and the contributions that these plants make, converting energy of the sun and, and all of the incredible elements in our atmosphere into usable nutrition and resources. that goes into the soil, the plant does all that, and then it releases back out oxygen, right? Well, CO2 in, O2 out, what's left behind? The carbon. And so when I hear about all these crazy technologies and carbon bricks that don't ever, la- you know, that, that last a thousand years and how are we going to harvest and mine all this? I'm like, oh, no, we're getting it so wrong. Like this is the reductionist um, quandary that, that we end up in because we don't have we, we may have excess carbon in the atmosphere. We definitely have a lack of carbon in our food production systems and our soils. We have degraded soils. Our soils are, 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 are not living that to they're to they're not thriving they're not live, fulfilling their potential and it means that they can't fulfill their potential to feed you know the omnivores and and and, and herbivores and us and carnivores and, and so on and so forth and so you know I, I don't know if that was a good answer to your question and if you want to rephrase the question I'll happily dig into nerd out on science but
0: no no I it is because here's here's one of my you know things that I I, I just go wow you know people are oh the You know, the planet and climate change and all that, but nobody ever really, or very few people will take the time to dig down and just learn a little bit to form their own personal opinion. And then before you know it, everyone's sort of barking at each other versus like you said, if we started with our food source and the way that we grew food, it would take care so much of us and the planet. Like that for me as a starting point seems pretty practical. Like oh well, why don't we pay more attention to that? We can fight about uh, you know your pronouns and whatever other stuff people want to fight about. But if we could actually take care of our planet and our own physical bodies, starting with how we are getting our food, it seems like a a win, you know, to me. So that's why I just I wanted to bring that up. I'd ha- I'd have to ask about two types of meat just because. I'm curious. And you know, what's funny is sometimes because, you know, like this whole thing of how even this has become politicized, like vegan, vegetarian, you know, people who eat meat, it's like, I just, I, I the word meat comes out of my mouth and I, I, I've i almost been like trained to be like, here we go. Um, I want to be clear. I think if people just ate real food and if they decide to be vegan or vegetarian, just figure out how to supplement here and there, uh, you know, to cover some of those gaps that's really the interesting, I mean, Zach Brown said it perfectly. He's like, people are healthier. Oh, I'm paleo or I'm keto or I'm, you know, vegan. It's like, no, you're just eating real food, like whatever that is. And that's why you're feeling better. So I, that is really where I stand. I think people should do whatever feels good to them. Um, but I, I'm curious, you guys are big on organ meat.
1: Uh, it's some of the most nu- nutritionally dense food on the planet on a, on what you get, I I think I I don't want to. I was talking to Chris Kresser the other day, and 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 I don't want. I'm going to misstate this, so take this as directional, and then go do the research. But I think he was looking at um, you. You mentioned uh, iron deficiency. I think B12, folate, magnesium. um, I'm trying to think of like there's like a top six vitamin deficiency just in the United States. And then they they did somebody did a a study that said how much? um, What are the foods that are most dense in those, and how much would you have to eat? To give yourself the, the the daily allowance, and and further, is it actually bioavailable? You know, just because you consume iron in one form doesn't mean you can make any use of it at all, let alone an efficient or a good use of it. And so they did the study, and I think it it, it showed the most nutrient dense forms and the best form of food to address the, the majority of iron defic- or um, vitamin deficiencies, which women suffer from more than men. And in the United States, um, it, is organ meat. it's organ meats something like twelve calories of liver versus like, I, I forget what it was. It was like a hundred servings of spinach to get the same amount of iron that in, in a bioavailable form. And so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pitting plants against animals. I'm just saying these organ meats are incredible. And, and I think when you look, you read history and you look back or you look to the animal kingdom, you look to nature for wisdom. You see that these would have been the most highly selected for cuts. You know, when, when, when you read stories of native Americans on the land, you know, the first thing they would do is go and, and try to eat the liver or, or even the the, the pelt hunters who you know I don't agree with what they did or why they were doing it, but you know that would be what they were, were living on. you look into well, to nature you look at you know animals taking down carcasses they go straight for the organs first and so I mean I think there's theres there's a lesson there and 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 for us you know it, it's not to say that we're like organ zealots, but you, you when you, when you when you when you sacrifice an animal's life it to, which is to say when you kill an animal, you take its life. You honor every part of that animal. And so there's a nutritional component to it. There's a reverence for the animal, and the sacrifice component to it. And I think there's also this part where we look at, you know, life expectancy is declining. We've never been more, we've never been less healthy and more disconnected from our food. And so I think, you know, paying attention and, and responding to the obvious and trying to implement, introduce. So again, to, to your point, organ Meats, we have a, we have a line of products we call our ancestral our ancestral blend. We call it our ancestral blend because it would have been because it inc- introduces organ meats and a subtle blend that you probably won't notice. So it's sensitive to the modern palate and recognize that people are intimidated by organs, but it brings in enough for you to get the nutritional benefit of them. So it's like you can feed it to your kids and they won't know that it's there. And we call it the ancestral blend because that's how our ancestors would have eaten. Frankly, there's like 20 pounds of liver for every 400 pounds of meat. So it's not like we need to eat pounds and pounds of liver a day. We just need a little bit. And 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 so we're just trying to honor all all of those elements in some of the food that we offer.
0: I really appreciate that. Do you have a a, your favorite way that you prepare it or consume it?
1: Yeah, honestly, not not in some fancy you know chef style. I think for us, it's 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 how fast and convenient can we make it? And and so the the ground meat form is forgiving and flexible, and honestly, it's it's incredibly cost effective. So what I'll do is I'll take. ground a a pound or a brick as we call it of ground ancestral beef or bison or venison making some venison tonight actually and i'll take you know a, a bag of frozen organic vegetables and i'll make a stir fry and it's it takes 15 minutes it costs something like six bucks a serving and it is wildly healthy and as you pointed out earlier satiating and you can't eat a meal at 7-eleven for that you can't eat a meal at a fast food restaurant for that you know it is i i I know that people again challenging these what we've been conditioned to believe i know people think that our you know regenerative meat or grass-fed meat is expensive it is not our meat is 55 cents an ounce for our beef ruffles potato chips are a dollar ten an ounce we are half as expensive as what we all, we identify Ruffles as cheap and this, and this premium meat is expensive. It's just a disconnection that we have. And, and, and so, you know, I would say that's, I, I like to make meatballs. I'll make hamburgers. I'll do the stir fries. Um, I just try to find ways that to do things that are quick and easy and convenient that nourish our family that still tastes good. And, and I hope others can learn from that and not be intimidated by the product or not fear the, 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 the price. Because again, it is so much cheaper than you realize to actually to actually nourish yourself.
0: And th- and that's what I wanted. I just want people to not be intimidated because they think oh organ meat. It's like no, it's completely user friendly. You can incorporate it the way you cook with anything and and so I I just Any want ground to meat. That.
1: Rince, same exact yeah. thing. Any recipe, your favorite recipe. Do that's that. That's
0: right. I mean, you can make a bolognese if you want.
1: Okay, so I make spaghetti. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. I'd have I I would be remiss not to ask your feelings about this this th- uh, this 3D you know, meat, like now they're, you know, making lab, lab meat, lab, laboratory meat. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I do find it fascinating that we, because we do, we're, we sort of romanticize technology to the degree that we're like, yeah, never mind how it is in nature that it's done in sort of a perfect way. Let's create a whole, let's put a ton of resources towards doing lab meat. I mean, do we do we think this is actually going to get off the ground?
1: Uh, it's not. It's not off to a good start. I mean, it's, they've raised a lot of companies, have raised a lot of money. I know. Um, I think what, what what challenges me with it is, you know, I'm 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 fundamentally on on, on team nature, like I said, and and that we have this perfect system that doesn't necessarily produce billionaires, so we turn our backs to it. And and, and and then we've turned to a system that food can become intellectual property and the ability to make that food and the raw materials for that food and the whole supply chain can be vertically controlled. And then you can even take it and force it upon third world countries and remove their sovereignty. And, you know, and, and the, the potential for evil goes on and on and on. And on. And, yeah. and I and I really question the claims. I question the intent. I question the authenticity of the people behind it. Because none of it makes sense to me, it it, it's not. You know, I i i had a i did a podcast where I kind of did a debate with somebody from Impossible Foods. It's not lab based. It's it's a different thing.
0: No, it's just Um, a bunch of the amount of ingredients in Impossible Foods and the the types of ingredients. It it's like they say it may be it may be like you're not killing an animal, but it isn't good for your health. You know, that, well, again, it's, those, it's, those combinations of oils and what have you. It's not like, hey, that's going to be good for your health. I don't know.
1: Well, to your to your point, eat, eat real food and cook it yourself. Yeah. And, and you don't need to take real food and then convert it through a series of complex, again, proprietary science based on plants and equipment and machinery and a bunch of shipping and more fossil fuels burning and all these things mm. into a different form if if the original form is good then then, then use uh, good enough to use as a raw material or, or a base component then just use the original form meat you know I, I think this idea that that we have to replace meat now with with stuff grown in dishes and labs i think you can pierce the veil on on some of the ethical claims that they're making It's it's, if it's coming from row crop sugar that you're feeding it or what antibiotics are being put in there for a for an, for the alternative to an immune system or, you know, like all all these things break down really quickly when you, when you challenge them. And I think a lot of this comes from this, this, this thing that we do as humans, which is fear our mortality and not want to acknowledge it or own it. And it's like, look, and, and, and we're, 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 and and also this, this thing that we do, where we try to distance ourselves from nature, like, oh, there's nature. And maybe I might go experiment in it for a minute. We forget that we are part of nature. We are animals, and, you know, life and death, we love the harmony and the, the, the circle of life and the beauty. And we, we, we admire and romanticize it except for that, that death part. And we try to distance ourselves from it. And I think nature is not cruel. Nature is not kind. Nature just is. And there's a balance. And, and it goes on. And we just have a really difficult time accepting that. And so, so we, try to, we try to avoid any, any form of acknowledgement of death. And I, and, I, and I think that's a mistake. And it leads us astray. And this is just one more example. Of us, of us going down a path that makes that really makes no sense.
0: I really appreciate that. Can any can people go to Rome Ranch? Are they able to go and check out Rome Ranch, or is that sort of... Yeah, you want to go? Me, eventually, I do. I, I, I want to. We'd Rome love Ranch. to have you.
1: Okay. Yeah. So 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 my co so so Rome Ranch Force of Nature. I'm, I'm a co-founder. My my two folk co-founders, Katie and Taylor. We all we're all at Epic together. Katie and Taylor bought a ranch. They own it. It's not part of Forest of Nature. It's actually part of our supply chain. We source from them like we do dozens right. and hundreds of other ranches. It is an, an hour west of Austin in a town called Fredericksburg. And you know, they effectively created a, a, a living regenerative operation. It's a field experiment, educational facility. They host thousands of people a year. I would say like they they do they do school tours. They do bison calf tours. My favorite events, and what I would... Try to get you to come out for would be either a turkey harvest or a bison harvest, and that's pretty intense. But but I think it is a part of rekindling and refostering those connections that we've been talking about having having lost in the modern in the modern world that are truly fundamentally human. And and a a bison harvest is truly that. You know, a community of people comes out and we harvest a bison, and you see it get shot, and then you see it you know be broken down, and you participate at. And I think it's a remarkable experience because it is hard. It is trying. It gives you a true understanding and appreciation of everything that we've spoken about on, on in this conversation. But then you also go through this emotional journey where the weight of that turns into an appreciation and a celebration of life. And I think that's that, going back to that fear of death, we only focus on the death. We don't focus on the fact that it takes death to sustain life in every form. Animals thrive on the decaying dead matter that you know, that, that, that put the soil and the nutrients into the ground. It, so, so, just like we are uh, uh, omnivores and, and, and carnivores eat animals. And so, I think that journey and that appreciation and what, you know, people often, there are tears in the beginning and there are smiles and laughter in the end. I think doing that in a communal setting where you're seeing others go through a similar process. And, and I think there's a tribal component to it that, like, the, the whole being in, in this community and, and, and gathering and harvesting and producing food together. And the same thing with the turkey harvest. The difference in the turkey harvest is every person goes and picks up their own turkey, and they they actually do the the kill step themselves and then break it down themselves. And that face that you're making is exactly why I think that's the perfect event for you, because I, I think I think it causes us to confront many necessary things. And then on the other end of that, we do that around uh, Rome does that around Thanksgiving. You take that that food home. And you never look at a, a turkey and, and plastic at a grocery store the same ever again. You recognize the life behind that and the story that life had and the opportunity it had to live its potential on the land. And when you take that bird that you just harvested home, you tell everybody you know about it. When you feed them, you don't waste one morsel. And th- that animal does not become part of the 40% food waste that like gets thrown in the garbage can. You know, it's like you have a deep and fundamental connection to that, to that food, and I think those are so many things that we're missing in life, and 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 so those are some of my favorite things that anybody can sign up for. I
0: really love that, and uh, and I think it's more honest. I I say that all the time. I'm like, I it's not it, it, honest if I'm willing to eat it, but I I wouldn't be willing to kill it. I just that's it isn't. That would be hypocritical. Like, oh, don't tell me where it comes from; just bring it to me. And I and so I I really thought about that. And listen. Before all of this, it was like shelter and finding food. That's really what we've been concerned with. And we have complicated our lives. I understand it. I enjoy parts of that uh, progress. I'm talking to you through a screen, you know, through opt. like it's amazing. However, I think to your point, when we get back to some of these rudimentary things, it's so fulfilling in a way because it does reach and touch our biology. So I really appreciate your time. I, I, I am so grateful for what you're doing at Force of Nature. And if you could direct everybody, Robbie, to all the places that they can find you or the brand or the podcast, I would really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Uh, forceofnaturemeets.com is the website. Uh, you can read our blogs, learn more about us there, buy products if you want. We have a store finder if you're looking for where we're available in retail because that's your preferred way of shopping. Then uh, at Force of Nature meets on Instagram. I believe we have a YouTube channel. It's probably something similar to that. Uh, and then our our podcast is is called Where Hope Grows, and we do that in combination with Rome Ranch. and, and Taylor is one of my co founders. is a, this is one of the best storytellers I know. And he does a fun job with that. Um, so those would be the the the, the places I'd, I'd send folks to. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate your time and, and the opportunity to to tell you know, a little bit more about what we're doing and, and hopefully reach some folks that um, needed to hear this story.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to Reese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners.